Yeah, I've just been hotboxing this bathroom. <laughs> hey, 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 it's Gilda. And Steph. <laughs> and you I'm are <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I was like, yeah, you know, I took like a puff and a half of the AeroPro and I was like, yeah, this feels good. Yeah. And then I took two or not two, but I took another half and it was like, oh boy. Nice. I used my yeah. tincture. And nice. I had a smoke because <laughs> I you need <what>? both <laughs> Yeah. I was going to ask how that went the other night. Yeah. I mean, like I did definitely feel it, but okay. um. Yeah, it was just like it was very mild. But now oh, I can breathe. Gilda have coronavirus? <laughs> no. Gilda just smoked a little too much pot. So yeah, welcome <laughs> to Saturday Night High, the podcast where we get stoned and talk about Saturday Night Live. How are you doing tonight, Steph? I'm doing pretty good. Tonight we're actually gonna be talking about uh live from New York, which is something we've been talking about for three whole episodes now so if you haven't listened to those maybe you should do that uh, <laughs> today we're talking about part four and part four is titled Bohemian rising it goes from 1985 to 1990 this is kind of an in-between period for saturday night live i feel it's like lauren is back but it's the show's kind of not doing so great yeah kind of just a lot of forgettable content in this period it was like the awkward teenage years of the show where it was really trying to figure out what it was like it wasn't the show that premiered what 10 years prior 10 to 15 years prior but it had also turned into a kind of political list toothless satire show and that without teeth or politics how do you have satire i mean right right yeah so we kick things off where lauren michaels he had wanted to take six months off at the end of the 79 80 season so he could rethink and recast the show and it turned out that lauren's half-year hiatus turned into a five-year exile um so his he came back and he was following what was an incredibly popular season where it had Billy Crystal and Martin Shore and these absolute like comedy giants. They were like the best of the young comedians at that time, you know, like the adult comedians. It was like they were, <laughs> yeah. they were household names before they went to Saturday or not household names. They were known before they went to Saturday Night Live. It was like John Mulaney, but like if he didn't <laughs> get famous from Saturday Dude, Night Live. But literally, I was almost I was almost going to say it's like if John Mulaney just joined the cast of Saturday Night Live for a season, and I was like, no, she's gonna think that's dumb. And then you said it, and I'm so happy you don't think it's dumb. We're on the same page, yay! Holy shit! Always thinking about John Mulaney. That's the page. Well, yeah. But yeah, so oh God, I can't wait until I get to the parts. Is he quoted in this book? Sorry, to totally derail. Oh fuck you. yeah! <laughs> oh fuck yes, he is. No, you're good. So yeah, Saturday Night Live had changed. There were really no more drugs, at least you know, no more drugs in quotation marks. It was more corporate, and there was micromanaging. It added to the shit show of that year. When the show, uh, to quote Tom Schiller on page two ninety one. 
When the show first started, no one knew what was going on, and there was a wonderful flux period, which was incredibly creative. Dot, dot, dot. Then in 1985, the show had coalesced, and you found you were just an interchangeable part. Not that the drugs were good, but there were no more drugs. It was clean. It wasn't as rambunctious. That's the word. Yeah, basically, it's, it's changed. And, I mean, he uses the word coalesced. I think, honestly, the most shocking thing out of my notes, because I'm just scanning them right now, is Madonna. Yeah! Just the fact that she was on it, and it was it was bad news folks apparently a nightmare and she, and they said she worked really hard that yes. poor fucking woman i like <laughs> god yeah. damn yeah no they said madonna is not the friendliest person in town but she was very very professional and throughout the week she kept saying let's do it again let's rehearse it again let's rehearse it again she worked her ass off but apparently she was terrified of the whole live aspect in terms of the ratings when Lauren left in, when they left in May of 1980, and this is James Downey, he's a writer, on page 296, he says, when we left in May of 1980, we averaged something like a 12 rating and a 36 share, something pretty high like that. And then after Jane Demanian's third show, it was consistently halved. So it was like a seven or something. And then that Madonna show got a 10 rating. That was big. It was almost like the bad news is a lot of people were watching. They... <laughs> <laughs> they got like the hot new pop star to host and be the musical guest and everyone tuned in and it was a flop and that did not help that did not help their case that season yeah it was really tough for them really tough for madonna another thing that was really tough guess who pops up again chevy chase our favorite oh, our maybe not so favorite anymore because this man was a little um <laughs> allegedly homophobic <laughs> uh not allegedly homophobic and there was a lot of sarcasm oh, in that me. our favorite a lot of sarcasm <laughs> he's an ass beyond all asses and i don't mind saying this because i don't want to be the type of person that he likes which is apparently nobody <laughs> But yeah, no, on page 297, when he got there, he was a monster. He insulted everybody. He said to Robert Downey Jr., didn't your father used to be a successful director? Whatever happened to him? Boy, he sure died, you know. He sure went to hell. Downey turned ashen. Are you fucking kidding me? How the fuck was he not just, like, removed immediately? That is horrific. Like, when I saw that, I was like, what the hell? Like... Like, basically what you just did. Like, I was like, this is not okay. No. And then he turns to Terry Sweeney, who was the first openly gay cast member of Saturday Night Live, and says, uh, and then Chevy turned to me and said, oh, you're the gay guy, right? And he goes, I've got an idea for a sketch for you. How about we say you have AIDS and we weigh you every week? Again, I, I don't even know. Like, it's just fucking terrible. It's not funny. Yeah, it's like this man has gone unchecked for too long. Somebody come come get him. Come make him just, like, not say what he says. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that that happened, like, one, two. He said something to Robert Downey Jr., turned to another person, and delivered another terrible line. And they let him. In the mid-80s, Ron Reagan, Ronald Reagan's son, hosted Saturday Night Live. And... I think it's an incredible pivot from being pretty apolitical, or at least not controversial in the years prior, to then have a president's child, a 
sitting president's child hosts the show. Yeah, but I think you gotta also take into account, like, who's the president. (laughs) Well, true. Um, But I thought they were really cool with his dad's politics, and there was, you know, gentle... uh, Yeah, anyway, I thought it was cool. I can't wait to get there, because he seemed to just have a really good memory of it, whether it's a good show or not. And I really like hearing, like, adorable one-off hosts that are like, man, it was a really cool night, because you know it's a highlight for them. (laughs) yeah it is it's wholesome i want to take a moment to thank deb brillstein or deb brillstein for fucking saving saturday night live do you remember that i don't so brandon tartikoff calls bernie brillstein bernie brillstein i i'm not really good at names guys i'm sorry or brandon calls me up in april and says i'm going to call i'm going to cancel saturday night live and by then i have to admit i was happy to hear it you know rather than to see it suffer i wasn't in love with the persona of saturday night live the way lauren was so i go home that night and i said to my wife at the time deb they're gonna cancel the show she said you can't let them bring lauren back and then cancel it she got offended i said you know sometimes you've got to hear it from someone else i called brandon back and said no way you've got to give him another year brandon said to have lauren come out which did we all met and that's how it stayed on the air it was that close it was canceled my wife knew nothing about show business but she liked lauren i remember liking that a bit so much that i figured i didn't need to take a note on it i would just remember it forever clearly that's not what happened (laughs) i was just really high and really impressed with her her work like thank you (laughs) yeah right i mean it's just such a small kind oh you can't do that to him and you know you're right shit that is a shit move thank you uh dana carvey's audition story was pretty great Uh, on page 309 he had auditioned twice before and lauren says you can come out and you know just hang i guess dana carvey's wife didn't even move out to new york i said this will probably fail i went out there early because lauren said you could come out and you know just hang so i came out in august and lauren turns to me and says paul and linda are coming over tonight i said excuse me oh paul mccartney over here and literally the blood drained from my face and then i went into a room that lauren called jack's room because it's where nicholson would stay this man's life literal insanity (laughs) no paul and linda are coming over fucking show off (laughs) yeah right the image of larry david fighting people on the streets in new york city in the middle of the night from kevin nealon really made me laugh (laughs) i fucking love larry david i i know i think we just talked about him (laughs) we we did yeah but oh man no it was I, i guess that was what spurred kevin nealon to move to california was seeing larry david on stage one night follow a heckler out into the street and slug it out with him and you can picture it. I fucking love that. I fucking love that. <laughs> Lauren comes back and the cast is pretty much rebuilt. And it didn't really change from 1985 slash 6 to 1990. A notable hire during this time is Conan O'Brien. And he was a writer for the show. I love me some Conan. Me too. I love him a lot. I was happy to see him come up <laughs> finally. Yeah, no, me too. Hashtag Team Coco. Oh, God. His last week at NBC. He was a terror. He played music that 
uh, he played music that the royalties were like, you know, $500,000 like to play it and they'd play 10 seconds of it or five seconds of it. And then NBC would have to spend that money. I believe he bought like some fancy sports car and like had people smash it and blow it up. Watching his final week at NBC was incredible. You did not know what he was going to do. Sounds like a real chaotic time. Oh man, <laughs> it was great. It was literally that last week was must see TV. It was like, holy, holy shit, shit, what is this man going to make NBC pay for tonight? <laughs> but yeah, Conan found writing for SNL more stressful than replacing David Letterman on Late Night. And I thought that was interesting. You go from doing a once a week show to four to five nights a week, but. You know, he, he was also young at the time. Yeah, he, he was, was just very a young, young. Conan. I'm picturing I- him but smaller (laughs) well not smaller he was always that tall he was just like teenier yeah i kind of zoned out because i was looking at pictures of young conan (laughs) o'brien not a problem oh conan o'brien is dreamy joe piscopo came up again and with his oh the what was it 327 something about the oh the sinatra family the sinatra family was not happy with the impression phil hartman was doing at all again rest his soul fuck off get out of here Yeah, literally, I can't. I just, enough. Okay. When the show began, hosts, like musical artists, were chosen as much for their novelty as for their proven popular appeal. Hence the appearances of Ralph Nader, Julian Bond, Ron Nesson, and other non-performers in the host spotlight. The practice continued over the years. Page flip. Sports figures were added to the mix, but generally the host pool became smaller and limited to stars of show business, oftentimes those with a movie opening very near the date of their appearance. Same thing with musical guests, if they have an album coming out soon or an album has recently come out, they're they're going to swing through Saturday Night Live for a promotional tour when they're in New York. Right. And I guess part of that and it's explained a little later in the book is because it costs so much to have the artists and their dancers and their equipment and everything flown out to New York that if it's considered a promotional performance, the record label will take on half the performance kind of as promotion for an album or a single. Whereas if it's just, oh, hey, can someone fly out for giggles? It's a Saturday Night Live is pretty much footing that bill unless the person they're asking has more money than Lorne. I don't know. I don't know if anyone has more money than Lorne. <laughs> yeah, no, I was kind of surprised when I read that. Like, I had never considered who pays for what and all that because I luckily don't have to. But <laughs> <laughs> did you have like Damon Wayans? Did you have that in your notes? No, I didn't because I knew you texted me about that. So I figured you had notes on it and it was just insane. <laughs> it was just insane. It was so insane that I started fucking texting you about it. I was like, what the hell? So like, essentially, Damon, he had been, was he a featured player? I'm not entirely sure. I don't remember. It's been a while since I read this. Yeah, it's, it's been like six weeks since I read this. Yeah, he was he, he was on the show in some capacity. I don't know how but he was yeah and essentially he was supposed to be in this sketch where he would be playing a cop and 
in his opinion, the sketch was just absolutely not funny. And you know what? It didn't sound too funny to me, actually. I remember this. I think it was something with Monopoly. It was like, uh, yeah, because you say because I'm a little bit too high. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, uh, there was a sketch called Mr. Monopoly. He was a lawyer. And the character from the Monopoly board, the character they draw in the Monopoly game, the little man with the hat, the idea for the sketch was John Lovitz, was that man, Mr. Monopoly. And he was a very successful lawyer because he had all of these get-out-of-jail-free cards. His clients would go to jail and he would come in with these cards and the cops would hate him. Damn you, Mr. Monopoly! And that was the idea for the sketch. And so, oh, and so, that, uh, and, and Lovitz was very funny. And Damon Wayans, I wrote as a cop who had one line. He would say, hey, Larry, your lawyer is here to see you. That was it. He had like valid criticisms of the show being a little too white. Um, but I'm not entirely sure how far we've come since then. <laughs> Uh, Damon broke the big rule. I went berserk. The whole business of trust when you're in an ensemble, the whole deal with the network in my mind is that we operate on the level of trust. We have live air. We're not just going to go up there and say, fuck, 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 fuck. And I think Damon, in his defense, he didn't get a big enough laugh. And he went back to a character with what he'd done in Beverly Hills Cop. And he basically just went off script and did his own thing without telling anyone. And Lauren lost his cool and Damon Wayne said he'd never seen anyone really kind of lose his cool and talk like that. It was like talking to friends up in Harlem. Get the fuck out of here. Who the fuck? What the fuck? Uh, he was coming. He was like, John Belushi never did anything like that. I didn't even say goodbye. I went home gladly. Oh, my God. Yeah, I completely um, forgot about that. I thought Dolly Parton, her quote about what she would <laughs> and wouldn't do on the show jan hook says on page 341 i love dolly parton she came in and said look okay here's the deal i won't use any cuss words and i won't make fun of jesus those were her two demands anything else was carte blanche so the show got back to being a little bit more political and i thought george herbert walker bush was a pretty good sport he he seemed just like a happy old guy although he ran the cia and did some real shady 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 shit there Ooh, I want Robert Evans to do a Behind the Bastards on George Herbert Walker. Do we think he hasn't already? I'm pretty sure he hasn't. I'd remember that. I would have eaten that shit up. Probably, yeah. That would be really good. Oh, my God. I thought Dana Carvey's quote about when I was in college, I would shame, I would tape Dan Aykroyd off of the television, tape his Jimmy Carter, shamelessly practice it, and then go to the clubs and just steal it, do his Jimmy Carter. Then eight, nine years later, Danny's in the office going, I really like your George Bush. It was, re- it was kind of surreal. And it's just like, oh, you sweetie. Like, I love it when these people, they're like starstruck by their idols. And it's like, ah, it's cute. Yeah, it is cute. And I thought the story of how Mike Myers joined the cast was also kind of crazy. He he had wanted to be on the show since he was 11, but at 345, he says, I got called in for an interview and I got hired from the interview, which was very lucky for me, but I wasn't quite sure I had gotten hired when I came out of the room. And he, Dave Foley was one of his friends. Uh, He was from Toronto as well, was there when I came out of Lauren's office and he and I started walking downtown. We tried to dissect what Lauren had said. He said, would you want a job there? And I didn't know if that was an offer, but I said, yes. So I just kept asking Dave, so does this mean I'm hired? And like, it was so cute. Just, oh, he said Foley and I walked off. This is Lauren's thing. 
right just like leaving people like not really letting them know if they were hired or not and just like seeing if they decide they're hired yeah it's kind of sadistic (laughs) (laughs) kind of but yeah, it's just Foley and I walked all the way to, from Midtown down to the village trying to decipher if I was hired, which that, that's that's a walk. <laughs> that is not a short distance to contemplate one question. <laughs> yeah. But I understand the anxiety loop of, wait, did I? You just go, just, you know, every block, God. just every block or three, you repeat the same thing. Something I really enjoy about this book is the battling commentary. I think I've said it before, but I just love it when you have like both sides of the story right next to one another. Yeah, I love it. It's, it just feels like I'm watching like some sort of comedy shit. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, have you seen I, Tonya? Holy shit. I don't know why, but oh. it's like that. <laughs> It is like that. Okay, A, I love Allison Janney. Like, oh my god, I love her. I love Margot Robbie, Sebastian Stan, the entire fucking cast. <laughs> Allison Janney is just like, oh gosh, she's sassy and she's snarky and she's funny and she she's played CJ Craig be. of the West Wing. It's my mm-hmm. liberal blanket. I know that Aaron Sorkin is problematic as hell. We're not going to get into that right now. Yeah. Um, I like West Wing and we're going to leave it at that. I thought it was funny. It's just kind of like, um, it seems Saturday Night Live, it's very much oriented kind of like a high school in terms of, you know, John Belushi said, okay, you know, four years, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and then you move on. But it's a lot like high school that no one really tells you what's going on. You have to figure it out for yourself, or at least it used to be. Uh, Terry Turner on page 347 says, I remember at one point we were standing at the elevators on 17. We had been there for like 30 minutes pressing the buttons going, what the hell's going on? Five or six people walk by. Someone walks by. I think it was Al Franken. And he says, those don't run at night. So you were on your own, discover anything. There was no handbook to figure out how this worked. Yeah. And just like the fact that they're all sort of in that ignorance together of not realizing oh this is just the building being the building <laughs> right it's cute um, it's like oh my god <laughs> it's what they do in harry potter <laughs> i suppose it is kind of what they do harry, harry potter because you can't what? talk about it without getting mad at jk rowling yeah, that's all i gotta say i don't know what the fuck she's on i don't know what happened to her like what the she's fuck? on who the fuck <laughs> She's on what? Yeah, she's on transphobia is what she's on. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, she could just shut up. She could just not say anything. She makes so many fucking people mad. Oh, if that's what you want to fucking believe, you're a piece of shit, but just do it fucking quietly. Right, like... do it within your own house if you want to be a f- Another notable thing that happened during this time was the partnership of Al Franken and Tom Davis came to an end and it was unfortunate as oh god together they were just brilliant I don't know if you've seen any of their stuff or any of their stuff on Weekend Update but I probably have in like a compilation video (laughs) they were so good and it's like I don't know they're it's like their creative split it's like they're split it makes me sad that they're no longer really friendly um as Tom Davis says my breakup with Al was hardly a matter of just shaking hands and going separate ways it was a really ugly divorce uh we don't speak except at funerals or at Saturday Night Live reunion shows I saw him at the 25th reunion it's like that that bums me out because it's like wasted time and at some point I think they will regret it if they don't already. I don't know. I, I'm not really one to talk. All I know is I have regrets like that and I'm not nearly as old as they are. So 
yeah for real why can't people just come together and talk <laughs> smoke a joint work your shit out it'll puff, be puff, fine pass forever <laughs> yes an unending stream of it <laughs> so yeah uh, so the, the 25th anniversary celebration happened during this time and a notable absence was Eddie Murphy. Uh, he did not show up for the anniversary celebration. The story that's told is that Eddie saw the David Spade Hollywood Minute, where David did a joke about Catch a Falling Star and referred to Eddie Murphy. And the following Monday, Eddie Murphy got David Spade on the phone and was very upset. David took the call and took the heat, and there was plenty of heat. And I'm told that from that day forward, Eddie Murphy never set foot on that stage again. And that was true. It took until 2015, the 40th anniversary show to get him back on the stage at Saturday Night Live. And then it took another five years for him to host. He hosted last December. So yeah, it took him a long time to get over that and come back, which again, yeah, it's sad, but it shows you how it really affected him. It's like high school, you know? <laughs> it, it is. It really truly is. And I, part five, oh boy, part five has drama, can't wait. Part five really illustrates how much like high school it is and how clicky it is. Yeah, reading part five is like watching an episode of Glee. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen an episode of Glee. Well, honestly, we got high and watched that because it's the craziest fucking shit. <laughs> Yeah, people were nuts for it in undergrad. And I was just like, I don't understand. It's it's people singing on TV and there's lots of auto-tune. I, I don't get it, guys. I think it's like the campy aspect of it, which you don't really get if you only watch like one or two episodes. But then like once you start watching the whole thing, it's like, oh, this is just like really lame character humor. You also have, I guess- have to be like, I don't know, expecting Glee. <laughs> yeah. I'm a feminist and I just know that I've heard lots of really problematic stuff about the role of the teacher on the show and how he like pits people against one another and he's sexualizing people and I'm just like mm, I don't think well, so I, that feels creepy I don't think he sexualizes anybody like I don't I personally don't think, but he does sort of pit people against each other like he does sort of exploit their like personal dramas for their show choir yeah that's um, icky it is icky but it makes for really good tv (laughs) (laughs) well and that's wonderful (laughs) like he did like literally blackmail this kid he he blackmailed cory monteith's character to be in the fucking club by being like i found pot in your locker and he was like i, I don't mm-hmm. i don't smoke weed mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he made him join the fucking glee club mm-hmm. but of course he didn't think anything of it because he's just dumb <laughs> yeah i i'm gonna really try to show some restraint tonight and not sending you some buzzfeed articles about how terrible the teacher in glee is because i've read like three of them even though i've never watched glee for some reason i'm just like ooh, let me get the popcorn no he's definitely icky like i definitely fucking hate when they show his personal life i fucking hate it um yeah but like there's no need for that on a show about high school kids high school kids in quotes oh yeah right 
it's because he's probably he was like one of the bigger names in the show so they, they felt like they probably had to give him some big shit but like oh i fucking hate it. i don't want any part of it he just yeah. is a fucking womanizer but i don't really know how problematic he is in terms of his like treatment of the kids i don't know i don't know part four comes to an end on a really sad note um with the untimely passing of gilda radner and as quoted on page 349, Lauren Michaels would get a lot of wear, and this is just James Andrew Miller and Tom Shales, just there right up at the end of the section. Lauren Michaels would get a lot of wear out of his black suits over the years. Indeed, too much. He saw many former cast members meet heartbreakingly premature ends, and no one broke more hearts, however, than the former SNL star and member of the founding family of 1975 who died on May 20th, 1989 at the age of 42. Anyone given half a chance, it seemed, had fallen in love with her, whether literally or vicariously. In the history of the show, there were no brighter lights. Steve Martin touchingly eulogized Gilda on the first show to air after her death. A segment from the first five years was shown, a sketch without dialogue in which Martin and Radner, both dressed in white, danced romantically around the studio to Dancing in the Dark from the movie The Bandwagon. Introducing the segment, Martin had a lump in his, his throat and tears in his eyes and had trouble getting through his short speech, the first time viewers, or perhaps his own colleagues, had seen him so openly emotional. And he talks about it was one of those things that just kind of came over him and he felt emotional and he wasn't expecting it. And then Mike Myers, he was on the show at this point, and it was, he says on page 350, I got hired in February of 1989. I think it was May of 1989 when Gilda passed away because it was on a Saturday, the last show of my first half season. Somebody said to me as I was walking to work, what's your feeling about Gilda? And I didn't know she had passed away. So I said, well, you know, I think she's amazing. And they said, did you know she died? And my blood ran cold. And that's the second really unfortunate death reveal we've yeah. had in this book although i don't really think that person one, realized that he didn't know <laughs> no this one was not intentional no 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 but it still it still sucked because he talked yeah. in in the previous two paragraphs about how he had done a commercial with her when he was younger and he had absolutely fallen in love with her and everyone used to tease him about it and how yeah it was just it was really cute and i also i, I thought it was really just i don't know not fitting but she died on a saturday the last the Saturday of the last show in May, the the season finale. And it's like, well, that's that's fitting. I don't know. That is fitting. I do think that sometimes deaths, like people who are dying, I'm not saying you choose when you die, but I am saying sometimes things align. <laughs> yeah, sometimes things are creepy like that. Not creepy, but you know. Um, yeah. Shortly before she died, she, was, she did... She went to a party that Lorraine Newman, another original cast member, had hosted. That man, what I would kill to be a fly on the wall for that party. Uh, the details were on 351 to 352. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was crazy. But she showed up and everyone said goodbye. And everyone, and they said that, you know, she was laughing so hard and that she, she looked very happy, albeit thin and slightly sick. And um, the quote that, always makes me cry is found on 352 to 353 and gilda radner is quoted as saying in 1980 with saturday night live just behind her and new careers in the theater and movies ahead gilda said i think i'd be a neat old woman if i ever make it that far i once said that to a guy i was going out with and he said you already are 
but I feel with my life, somebody's been so generous with experiences for me, who's ever controlling it. I mean, I've enjoyed a real generosity there. So sometimes I feel maybe I'm getting all of this now and quickly because there's not going to be a whole lot later. I mean, maybe I'm going to die or something. I know that's an awful way to think, but I have been real fortunate, real lucky. It's crazy. And what's it, prescient? No, it's a very prescient thought to have. I'm happy that she experienced what she did when she did. So Yeah, yeah. I love her as, you know, I picked her for my pseudonym. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's all I have. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, that's all I have for part four. Okay, so thank you for tuning in. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on pretty much every platform. And if there's a platform that we are not on that you'd like to see us on, please email us at satnighthighpod at gmail.com. So we would be ever so grateful if you like what you hear. You can like, comment, subscribe, leave a review. We really appreciate it. Yes. So we are uh, at satnighthighpod. Night is spelled N-I-T-E on Twitter, but it's spelled N-I-G-H-T on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and we're also on YouTube now. Also Reddit. We are at Sat Night High Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. Um, we're also on Facebook and YouTube. However, please beware. Night is spelled N-I-T-E in our Twitter handle because of character limit. That again is Sat Night High Pod, N-I-T-E for Twitter, but not for anything else. Um, if you would not feel comfortable watching Saturday Night Live with the littles in your life or having them ask you questions about things they saw on Saturday Night Live, you should probably throw some earbuds in. Oh, yeah. Send us your thoughts, your emails, stories about when you got high, crazy shit that happened. Please Um, do. First time you smoked up, whatever. As long as there's no death and it ends happily, we're very happy. We're, we're happy to read it. Happy to hear it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's it for me. I'm Gilda. And I'm Steph. Happy highs. Happy highs. <laughs>